So, Dan, what got you started on your journey to improve joy at your organization? I hadn't really heard of it formally um, discussed until IHI uh, annual conference in 2016. Um, and, and then going back in 2017, uh, at last year's IHI conference, I, I uh, read the white paper again. I heard people talking about it. Um, and, uh, so, and then I heard that, uh, there's the virtual training course. And so, uh, at the same time, um, our executive leadership team here had noted a gap in employee engagement, uh, in particular, the employee engagement between our executive or senior leadership team and then, uh, man- middle, uh, our directors and managers. Uh, and so this, the, I, we had a notable, a noted gap, uh, in something that once we dug into, uh, some of the root causes and asking the five whys and whatnot for why this gap existed was there seemed to be some value and purpose themes coming out. Uh, and out of that, uh, with, again, the information that I had heard and, and the stories I'd heard through, from IHI and from the evidence listed in the white paper, I made the uh, I brought this up at our board uh, quality committee meeting um, in January as, hey, this is an idea of not only would it uh, it seems to be at least somewhere in 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 the gap of our employee engagement uh, opportunities, but then also that there's direct quality and safety lines of sight from this work to good you know patient outcomes and, and employee outcomes. Uh, and so that led to me uh, requesting and, and receiving the uh, the funding to take ten of our senior leaders uh, through the virtual training course this past spring. Can you tell us about the project you chose to work on during the course? So we initially uh, had thought of doing two separate five-person projects. We we uh, we did the additional coaching session. So we had Barb Balak, who was fantastic, and we thought, hey, let's do uh, you know let's do two projects in parallel, and we'll kind of go through. We have some good press gainy data on employee engagement and and whatnot. But as as we started to go through the training, we realized. Um, what we were getting out of the initial training was the foundation of this is the what matters to you discussion. And when we um, talked to our group that was doing the training and then those other senior leaders that weren't doing this, we noted that uh, we actually quantified a gap of, I believe, we had a 60% gap in our senior leaders having some sort of what matters to you discussion with their direct reports. And in, in talking with Barb, you know, Barb said, "Look no further. This is this is the first gap that's probably worth closing before we even get on to you know step two, three, and four in the framework. Um, is, is let's have those conversations. And so what we did was our test of change was then uh, we we standardized the, our own internal format of the of the discussion. We actually we we trialed the what matters to discussion on each other in the course and. Through that trialing, we actually tweaked it a little bit. We provided this feedback to Barb, but we we found that the the questions, as stated in the in the white paper, uh, it, we seem to be ending on kind of a negative note in the discussion. It was this great positive discussion about, you know, uh, why do you work here? You know, what what's a good day feel like? And uh, and then we're ending with. Um, you know, some of the negatives. And so we, we through that, that initial iteration, we tweaked our format to, to end on the, the really, the, the uh, bring it home things like, uh, uh, you know, when we're at our best, it looks and feels like. That was a great way to end the discussion. So we tweaked that. Then each of us in the training had 
we, we had the discussion, the What Matters to You discussion, with one of our senior executive colleagues. I was actually drew the straw for the, our CEO, so I had the discussion with our CEO. Um, and it was, it was uh, very interesting from a qualitative standpoint. We learned things about our, uh, our coworkers who we spend a lot of time each day with who we've known for years. We learned things through this you know, 30-minute discussion that we hadn't even known about that wasn't even on our radar. I, feel, I, I learned things about our CEO uh, that uh, with respect to what makes a good day for him that really changed my approach to having meetings with him. So can you share the outcome from one of your What Matters to You conversations? He was uh, provided the feedback that uh, uh, that he was frustrated. What, what got in the way of a good day is when he was in meetings where he felt like things weren't being accomplished, which isn't that earth-shattering. But at the same time, uh, I became more in tune to it uh, after having that conversation with him. And so I made a point of trying to um, uh, to make sure that we had clear objectives uh, when we did sit down um, with uh, with meetings with him, and that we that we were able to um, you know try to contain what we call the swirl when we start speculating and not having discussion based upon data, but based upon a whole bunch of what ifs. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was part of it. Can I can I tell you another part? Um, my my colleague uh, Dr. Megan Walsh, she's an internist as well, and she's our chief academic officer. And she was uh, on a teaching service during this uh, while she was taking the course. And she had a patient who uh, they were having a really difficult time coming up with a care plan. The patient was frustrated. Uh, there was actually uh, it was an end of life scenario where um, the, there there weren't many more or any more viable treatment options for the disease that the patient had, and yet the the you know the patient was not able to align with the care team on what an appropriate treatment plan would be. And and this is not uncommon. We see this, uh, you know, in a lot of instances. We try our best, but often we, you know, it, there's um, not a unified approach to a, uh, what the best treatment plan would be for the patient. And so Dr. Walsh, having uh, just had this, uh, we just trialed the What Matters to You conversations on each other. She said, what the heck? And she went in. And she had the What Matters to You conversation with her patient uh, one afternoon. She just went down, sat at the bedside, had the conversation. And the patient remarked to her, she goes, no one's ever asked me those questions. She said, what brings joy to you? What makes a good day? What makes a bad day? What gets in the way of a good day? When, you know, what, when, uh, when we're having a good day, the best day, what it looks and feels like what? Uh, and they were able to use that conversation to come up. It really to come up with a, a treatment plan that the patient uh that was best for the patient and that the patient agreed with and uh it was a really cool example where again here's a patient saying in all of my years of getting this treatment for this chronic disease that's now end stage no one's ever asked me these very simple questions in you know 5 6 7 years of treatment and again that not only was it that novel to the patient to hear that but that this simple discussion was able to close the gap on uh, a treatment plan that they had been struggling with for days. And so that was that was a really interesting side uh, or something that came out of our test of change. Was, test of change wasn't even something we were measuring, but it was kind of one of those positive externalities. And what were your next steps after the What Matters to You conversations? So we did the virtual training. We did our test of change um, 
got our results, and we presented it back to the Board Quality Committee in uh, in July. Um, and they were very supportive. Uh, they uh, they asked us to continue the work, and they actually guided us to not only continue the work with uh, with our employees, but then also to investigate to see from the direct patient care standpoint, because we told them that patient story that I just told you. And one of our uh, the nur- nursing executives on our board um, it was really intrigued by that, and and you know asked us to investigate further how we could continue that aspect of the work. And so we kind of divided our uh, next steps into two buckets, and one of them, and both of these are going on right now. One of them is uh, we are trying to uh, close the gap completely for senior leadership. Uh, and directors having the What Matters to You conversations. And so um, so that's starting with uh, discussions with our CEO. We said, well, let's start at the top, have him you know, model these discussions with his direct reports, and then his direct reports have those uh, with their direct reports, and then you know, get lessons learned and, um, and then kind of go from there. And so that's the next tangible steps are senior leadership make, closing that gap of the What Matters to You discussions with all of their direct reports. We've closed part of the the value gap, we've closed part of the comfort gap, closed part of the time gap, and we'll continue uh, working on those. The second part is uh, further investigating how we could use this in direct patient care. They're trying to figure out what what's what is the how how can they objectively quantify a meaningful gap to close, and so they're they're investigating uh, whether this is something to do with trainees, which might be a, a great place to start because we are a, a major teaching hospital here. We have 240 residents and fellows of take, taking one teaching service and saying, hey, uh, you know, either closing that that comfort gap with this discussion with the with the trainees or even just their knowledge of the of the the potential power of this discussion on its own. We are very uh, slow but methodical. <laughs> Because you know, if you can tell from the timeline, I mean, the course finished in May, but we we wanted to make sure you know we we want the process to be integrity of the process rather than just finishing something up and not really being able to you know either a learn from it and b objectively move forward. And so we sacrifice some uh, speed of the rate of change for staying true to the uh, improvement methodology process. What barriers did you encounter during this work, and how did you overcome them? Probably, quite honestly, the initial one of the initial barriers was some skepticism, just about the idea in general, um, and not the idea of like value and purpose uh, in work driving improvement. Like that's that's not a novel concept, um, but the idea that uh, you know a fairly straightforward, uh, well mapped out conversation could further that cause. In particular, because when when the format we ended up using to kind of try to standardize the discussion to a certain extent, we, it's not obviously supposed to be a robotic discussion. You want it to go where it goes, but but to hit some of the key points, we you know when you look at the list of questions, it's kind of they're almost kind of asking the same question over and over uh, to a certain extent. There's a lot of redundancy in the questions as the way we formatted, uh, and so there was skepticism even from the the. People, one of the pediatricians was. She said this in our feedback session. Then she goes, "I was really skeptical of this. Thought this was another kind of. Uh, I, I don't know if fluff was the word she used, but uh, in particular because it just seemed like you're you're asking the same question over and over again. But what we all found was, as you get down, like to you know, question seven or eight, 
there, as people have had time to kind of reflect on this, that their answers sometimes change and, and develop in a deeper sense. And so, uh, so that again, the the barrier on the surface was it seems like like I got these some eye rolls saying, "Really, you think this is this thirty minute conversation is going to actually be meaningful?" So that was probably the biggest barrier. The second barrier was uh, getting back to our the barrier that everybody said, which was time. Um, you know, the everybody's busy. Our executive team, in particular, this was a, a busy part of uh, of the year, and so. Um, you, you might think it's easy to find 30 minutes on somebody's schedule, but when you're trying to arrange, you know, 10 executive leaders to line up with 10 other executive leaders to uh, to, to sit down and do this uh, without them really fully understanding the value, there's a little bit of finagling that had to go on to get into people's schedules. That's part of the reason why it took a while, because some of the, you know, our chief financial officer, he was booked like, you know, two, two and a half weeks out. Um, and so... Uh, and part of that, again, I think was, you know, because if, re- if you really need to get on somebody's schedule, you can get on the schedule, right? I mean, like if, if if the board was calling with a question about the financial statement, they would be able to get on the CFO's schedule the same day. <laughs> so part of it is the prioritization of, prioritization of time and the perceived value of the discussion. 